All right, thanks for being patient as we get this figured out. If you'll turn in your Bibles to John chapter 1. I'm going to read the first 13 verses here in a moment. I'm going to read John chapter 1, the first 13 verses, and it's where, again, the question we're looking at every, as we go through the Gospel of John, especially in the beginning, um, is who is Jesus? Who is John saying Jesus is? And this morning we're going to see he's the true light that enlightens everyone. This is God's word. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. This is God's word. He has spoken to us today in love. His word is true and trustworthy. Let's pray. Our Father, I ask that you would shine the light of your grace, the light of your glory on us as we look at Jesus this morning. There is no greater privilege in all of the universe than being called your child. And so, Father, we, we ask that you would help us understand that this morning and that your spirit would be at work in our hearts, uh, persuading and changing our unbelief so that we, too, would receive and believe Christ this morning and experience what it means to be your, your beloved children. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so Flannery O'Connor came up and reminded me of some of her stories this past week. And I've talked to you some of her stories in the past. She was known for, for what's called Gothic Christian short stories. <laughs> uh, in other words, she has a fascination in showing people the darkness of the human heart in order to shine a light on who Christ is and the grace we have. And so she's really good at telling stories where darkness stalks people who are oblivious to their own darkness. People who are completely unaware that they need Jesus, despite their religiosity. 
And so in, in, in her famous, one of her more well-known stories is a good man that's hard to find, and there's this family going on vacation from Tennessee to Florida, and on the radio as they're going along as a family, they're, they're being warned, there's a, a misfit, a convict, and, and some of his uh, fellow inmates, they've escaped, and he's extremely violent and dangerous, so look out. And this is in Tennessee that they're driving through, right? And they, this family has the grandmother with them in the car, and unbeknownst to everyone else, she's smuggled her cat in a basket against her son's wishes because, in, in her words, there was no way she was going to let her beloved cat spend three days alone. You know, the cat would probably enjoy it, but, right? Well, of course, what happens, the secret, secrets always come to light. <laughs> this happened to be on a dirt road as the cat jumped out of the basket and grabbed on with its claws on the dad's neck who cranks the wheel. The car gets in an accident. And of course, the people to find them, no one's hurt from the accident, fortunately, but the people who find them are the misfit and his gang. And the grandmother, um, completely oblivious, trying to reckon, figure out why she recognizes this guy, and she finally blurts out out loud, I know who you are. You're that guy who escaped from prison. And because of her foolishness, um, the misfit starts to execute the family members one by one out in the woods. And the, st the heart of the story is this grandmother who's trying to persuade this bad man that he's good, that he's not that bad. You come from good people, good church-going people. You've got good blood. Right. And his response to her is, Jesus has thrown everything off balance. Jesus was the only one that ever raised the dead. If he did what he said, then it's nothing for you to throw away everything and follow him. But if he didn't, then it's nothing for you to spend the few minutes you've got in this life the best way you can. Meanness, killing, burning down a house, whatever it is. There's no pleasure in it, but you can do it. Of course, the story ends with a haunting line after he kills this grandmother. She would have been a good woman if there was someone there to shoot her every minute of her life. Christian Gothic story. Right. And part of the reason I'm telling this story is because of the way he says, look, Jesus has thrown everything off balance. If you take John's words this morning seriously, that he is the true light who enlightens everyone, it's forcing you into that decision moment. Who is he? And what impact does he have? Right? It's, it's either nothing for me to throw away everything and, and give my life to follow him, or it's well, who's to say what's right and wrong, what's good and bad, what's cruel and kind? All right. If Jesus is who he says he is, then we should receive the light and believe him and orient ourselves around him the way the planets do the sun. Or reject him. All right? And become that person that the psalmist talked about. Transgression speaks deep in the heart. And so, Jesus has thrown everything off balance. Do you believe that? I mean, I chose this O'Connor story on purpose because she is showing the darkness of even the best of us. Right? She's making a very blunt, dark point about human nature. That if Jesus is the true light, no matter how religious you are, you're not the light. He is. Right? Or I could put it another way. 
when we were down south uh, in Mississippi, one of the tasks we learned that you had to do in a Christianized culture is spend an awful lot of time, like Flannery O'Connor's, say, hey, you're not actually a Christian yet. You had to persuade people of their, of their lack of faith, of their unbelief, that they're not Christians because they've been blinded by their culture and their goodness and their religiosity. Right? That family connections, good, regular church going, swearing less than your secular friends, right? That does not make you a Christian. That's why O'Connor says, she would have been great if someone was there to threaten her every moment of her life. We would all be great if we were, felt like I had to be good or else. Right? No, well, the, the argument that we're going to look at this morning is the way Jesus, the way, the way we are persuaded to receive and believe Christ is to see, to see Jesus as the true light. That's how the gospel becomes a power as we see our darkness. And so... Let's do that this morning. We're going to look at Jesus, the true light. We're going to see how he shines a light on the darkness of everyone's unbelief and then end with a call to receive the gift. And so look at uh, Jesus, the true light in verse 9, where he says, The true light gives light to everyone. He was coming into the world. Uh, he was in the world and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. And so here's the first point, right? John does not want you to miss that Jesus is for every person. Every, he's, he's for the world. right? He's enlightening everyone. Um, I like the way Francis Schaeffer put it. Jesus is true truth for everyone. Right? doesn't matter your ethnicity. Right? He's not just for the Jews in the context of the storyline of the, of the Bible. Uh, he's, he's, he's true for everyone regardless of your wealth. Your, your poverty, your strength, your weakness, your goodness, your badness. Jesus has thrown everything off balance. Right? He is true light enlightening the world. If you're human, Jesus is the true truth for you. That, that's the claim this morning. Right? He's, he's true. He's real. He became human. This is the true story of our existence. And I, and I know the context in which we make these claims, right? We are in upstate New York, and if you talk to your neighbors and say, Jesus is true light for everyone, the true light, <laughs> the capital T and a capital L, right? that makes them deeply uncomfortable, right? Because if Jesus is true light, that means he is the person that every human being has to be and is confronted with. Right? It's true truth for everyone. And I know, uh, you know it's, it's more comfortable to say, ah, just like, I just need a little bit of truth to inspire me this morning, to help me get through the day. Or I need my truth just to, to be a powerful, private, spiritual experience. You know, where you sub make subjective what is objectively true. And that is what, what John is saying this morning is Jesus gives light to everyone. You know, he makes a big deal using the word world over and over again. Right? And so part of what we're being shown is Jesus is not the God that anyone would make up. 
right? He's not the God I would come up with in my own imagination. He doesn't fit any one person's or culture's preferences. If you're going to take Jesus seriously, he's going to confront the darkness in every culture, in every space, and in every place. He's going to confront you. He's light coming into the darkness. But because he enlightens the world and is the one who made all things, he's actually for all people. You feel the tension? Right? Uh, I like, G.K. Chesterton says this well. Who is Jesus as the true light? Well, what Christianity asserts and communicates is that there is a key for every human heart and that Christianity alone has that key and that there is no other key like it. Right? In other words, if you find a key which is made for a specific lock and you find that that key fits the lock of every human heart, regardless of their ethnicity, regardless of their preferences, the only rational explanation is that the lock was designed by the lockmaker, God himself, for every human being, for the world. See, Jesus happened to be the key that could unlock the prison of the whole world and let in the bright white daylight of liberty. He's a good writer. So what we're, what we're looking at, right, this is, this is the historical and theological claim that Jesus is God come in the flesh, true light, which means that's come to enlighten every human heart. Do you believe that? That Jesus is not just for you, he's for the world. I mean, zoom in on verse 9. Uh, the, the Greek word for enlighten that Jesus came into the world to enlighten everyone is this word photizai. Um, right? it, you can hear the word photo, ph photography. Right? And so part of what Jesus came to do is to enlighten for every person is to photograph God for them. Right? To give them a picture of who God actually is. Right? He's enlightening the dark. Right? You, you remember the Polaroid cameras? You, does anyone still have, have those floating around where you can take your camera wherever? This is pre-digital, right, kids? So you take a picture, and it actually had a printer at the same time, and you, you could wait for the, the, the thing to finish, but you would have a picture right away of that, that moment. And that was my childhood. My grandmother's fridge was full of those uh, pictures of us grandkids without front teeth. Right? See... Verse 9 is saying Jesus is giving the world a Polaroid of God. He's enlightening the world, saying this is who he is. To quote, to quote Jesus later, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father in John 14, 6. Right? Jesus is the true light. So what about other people then that believe differently? What about other religions what about those who don't believe? Are they wrong if Jesus is the true light? And there's a, there's a couple ways to, to think about this, right? This is the magnitude of the claim. If Jesus is the true light, every other religion, philosophy, that means they're part of the darkness of this world. Um, they, they're in the dark grasping for the light. They're part of the world that John says, uh, doesn't recognize or know him. Right? 
the light shines in the darkness and they do not yet see. So yeah, part of the argument is other religions are wrong. This is the motivation for evangelism, that they need to know Jesus, the true light. But another way to think about this too is just because we have the truth, uh, that Jesus is the true light, it doesn't mean that they don't have some true understandings of things. They're not wrong about everything. They're wrong about spiritual reality. Right? They're wrong about Jesus. C.S. Lewis talks about it. He said, when I was an atheist, I saw all religion is worthless. Right? So, not charitable in any way towards anyone of belief. But when he became a Christian, he started to realize that I could actually be charitable towards my non-Christian neighbors. Right? That that even the strangest religions, because they're made in the image of God, had at least a small hint of the truth. In other words, every other religion points in some way to the need for there to be true light that enlightens everyone. Here's a couple examples to think about. Um, Islam, the heart of Islam is saying we need a prophet and, and we need a prophet who shows us that God is merciful. I mean, I would argue they've stolen it from the Bible, but that's a longer rabbit trail. No, but, but part of what they're, they're highlighting and what every Muslim person realizes is we are imperfect and we belong to, and God created us and we need our sins forgiven. If I have any hope at all, God needs to be merciful. So where do you find that mercy? Jesus, the true light, it's, it's the Christian response. Um, Hinduism actually you can find this in, in most religions they all argue that one of the best ways to be human is to not be selfish there's some form of the golden rule treat one another as you would want to be treated and what's, it, what's it telling you we all need someone who can restrain our tendency to hurt others right. Jesus the true light our, our secular neighbors who believe we should stand on the rights or stand and defend those who are marginalized, who are weak, who are oppressed. Right? I mean, they're, they're taking Christian values and saying there are wrongs that need to be righted in the world. They got that idea from Christianity. Right? They're, they're standing on our foundation. You know, we, we need a, a, a good king who will right what is wrong. Uh, there's a great story. This, is, this would be... Um, there are different animistic, traditional, tribal religions all over the world, and Don Richardson was a missionary who went looking for these stories. How, are, how is everyone in the world looking for this God, looking for true light? And there's one particular tribe in New Guinea who knew they had guilt and knew it had to be removed from them. And so once a year, they had this annual ceremony where they would take their scape chicken, right, not a goat, <laughs> they would put, put up, lay their hands on the chicken to put their sins on the chicken. They would put it in the canoe, push it out into the river, and pray and hope that the, their sins would be removed from them as it goes around the river bend. And if the, if the canoe sunk in the river, then they were, they were stuck with the burden of their guilt and shame for another year. So imagine their joy when they heard that Jesus is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world forever. No more escape chicken. Right? It flickers of light. That that we need true light, someone has to pay for real human guilt. Something or someone has to pay. 
So the, the, the Christian argument is that in light of the dawn of Jesus, the true light who enlightens the world, all these other ideas are just flickering candles in the presence of the bright blinding sun. And so part of what John is doing is he's calling every human person to change their mind and put their faith in Jesus. Be persuaded. Right? And don't just take my word for it, because I think what John is doing is he's referring to Jesus as the light for the world by referring back to Isaiah 49. So if you got a Bible, I would encourage you to turn to Isaiah 49 for a minute. Forty-nine, verse one. Right. So Isaiah forty-nine is describing one of God's servants who's going to do something for the for the whole world. So it begins in verse one. Listen to me, O coastlands, and give attention, you peoples from afar. In other words, pay attention that what I'm about to say is not just for people right next to me. It's for the peoples, the nations, far away. Right? And so you jump down to verse 5 and 6, which summarizes some of the other things here. It says, And now the Lord says, He who formed me from the womb to be his servant, to bring Jacob back to him, and that Israel might be gathered to him. For I am honored in the eyes of the Lord, and my God has become my strength. And the Lord says, it is too light a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and bring back the preserved of Israel. I will make you a light for the nations that my salvation may reach the ends of the earth, to, to the end of the earth. Right. So here's what, what Isaiah is saying and, and what's, what's being foretold is that somebody is going to come that's going to have the power to unite Israel. Right? Israel is in the darkness. They need help. Right? That's, that's the whole story of, of the Old Testament, that if you were to look at the Polaroid of, of Yahweh and Israel and, and the picture of their relationship, it would be dysfunctional. Israel has their back turned away from their dad. They're in the shadows, turned away from the light, even as the father's pursuing them. And so... What, what God said through Isaiah is that, it, that it's too small a thing just to fix one nation, to fix one tribe. Uh, I'm not going to waste you on just one particular people group, if you could put it that way. No, I'm, I'm sending you to the nations, that you would be a light to the nations so that my salvation would be known to the ends of the earth. I mean, Isaiah, if, you, if you're following the, the narrative of the whole book, Israel is in deep darkness. They need light. The nations need a light because they too are in deep darkness. And John is saying, guess what? Who that light is, who that servant is. The true light is here bringing salvation for every person. How will you respond? Jesus is for you. Right. Which means we have to look at the darkness if he's for you. Um, verse 10. John's going to persuade us that everyone needs the light but has rejected the true light. He was in the world and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. Right? The word world is used three times to highlight 
and emphasize everyone's ironic rejection of the true light, right? So and he says, the light was in the world. They could see him, right? It was in one small localized place, but he was, he was visible. It wasn't, it wasn't sneaky. Uh, the world was made through him, which means every, the world should be saying, thank you, let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. That there is nothing that you do not have that is not first a gift from the fountain and source of life. Right? The world was made through him, and yet, John says, the world did not know him. They did not recognize him. You know, we, in our pride, <laughs> we would expect John to say, oh, the world threw an epic welcome party for the light. God is here to chase away the darkness. Thank God salvation is here. And we're not alone in our misery. He's going to right everything that's wrong. John says, yet... The light was in the world, but it did not know him. It's as if the bright, shining brilliance of God himself shined in the face of the world and their pupils never dilated. No response. And it gets darker because the ones you would expect to recognize and receive this person, it should be Israel. Because right? it says he came to his own in verse 11. And his own people did not receive him. He came home. And he was rejected. Right? I mean, if you're following, even, even so far in chapter 1, that Jesus is Yahweh, the Lord of the Old Testament, that's saying that Jesus is the Lord who dwelled in the tabernacle in the wilderness, whose glory dwelled in the temple in Jerusalem. We'll talk about these things as we go through John he is their creator and redeemer, and he came home for Christmas, and the family said, who are you? You don't belong here. Right? I mean, Jesus was treated like crazy cousin Eddie from National Lampoon. Right? You don't belong here. I don't want you. I'm going to drive you out to the desert. I'd rather leave you for dead. And that's actually what happened. <laughs> right? they, they crucified him. And so... The world was blind to the light. Israel, who saw herself as a light and a guide for the nations, they did not recognize her creator. They, re they rejected Jesus, and then they tag-teamed to crucify Christ. That's the story of every human being. The light comes in, and we don't want him. Right. Uh, Van Til, Cornelius Van Til was a he was a professor at Westminster, a, a philosophical guy. He loved to make arguments for, for the existence of God. He says, you know what the re this reality is like? It's like you're holding, I'm going to use a toddler. It's like you're holding a toddler in your lap. And then, you know, sometimes your toddler will touch your face and it's really sweet. And sometimes they just full-on open palm slap you in the face. Right? The only reason the toddler can reach your face is because they're being held up by their father. And so Van Til argues God is holding us up, holding our existence together so that we can slap him in the face. I don't want you. Your existence is inconvenient for me. Right. And we as his children, right, he holds us up to his face, shining in the light of Jesus. We say, who are you? Right. My life is less complicated with you. It's easier for him to be crucified. 
do you, do you see that unbelief in yourself where you say, my life would be much less complicated if the Jesus story was not true? That I, I'm a sinner. I have darkness. I'm not prone to receive and, and welcome him apart from help. Right? Now, John is telling us two, two parallel realities. Jesus is for the world. He is light. And by nature, we don't recognize, receive, or believe in him. There's darkness. Right? So how have you been slapping God in the face lately? Right? The, way, the way we're called to respond is to recognize, receive, and believe in the name of Jesus. To believe that he's for you. Right? So that, that leads us to the gift. Right? Jesus is the true light for everyone. There's the darkness of unbelief. Everyone has this natural bent to run away from the light because of darkness. What does the light, what does Jesus, the true light, do for those in darkness? It says in verse 12, To all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, born of God. See, if you were to receive and believe and put your faith in this Jesus, that he is who he says he is, right? you're given a gift, a, a gift of a, you know, a magnitude that's hard to get our minds wrapped around. You get given the right to be called God's child, the, the authority, the, the, the privilege of being adopted, of being loved, of being cared for, and the more you know the darkness of your unbelief, the more astounding this gift becomes. Right? Because part of what John is saying, notice, no one be is a Christian by default. No one, become, no one becomes God's child by default. I, I know the, the argument is, okay, God created all things and he created all people, and, and in some loose way we are, we are God's children. Right? But you know what else was created by God? Mosquitoes. And they don't have this intimate fatherly relationship with their creator, right? It's, an, it's a very big difference from being the sonship that the Gospel of John describes and just being given life, right? Being the kind of child that God's describing. No, no one is God's child by default. Right? No one is. You can't get in just because of blood, because of your family or because of your ethnicity. Right? If you're born in a Christian nation, it doesn't make you a Christian by default. I mean, that's the history in New England. Uh, and in New England, for you to vote, you had to be a Christian. You had to be baptized into the church. You had to be a member. And so when Jonathan Edwards, this is in the 1700s, when one of the things he did as one of the brightest minds in, in America, a brilliant pastor who had preached sermons that changed all kinds of lives, what he did is saying, I am not going to baptize your kids because I don't think you're Christians. Because you're not a Christian just because of your family. And his church threw him out. And all he did was take John seriously. That you're not born as God's child because of your family. You can't ride someone else's coattails into heaven. All right? Which is really important if you've grown up in the church at some point. 
our children, youth, you have to decide whether the claims of Jesus are true. And true because you believe them, not just because your parents say you should. Right? You have to make your faith your own. And it's not your parents' decision to make you a Christian. It's our desire that you would be a Christian and think this is the best story that you'll ever hear. <laughs> but we can't, we can't twist God's arm and say, ah, just be kind. They're with me, right? That's what Jesus does for us. We can't do that for others. Right. No, it says you're not a Christian because of the will of the flesh or the will of man. I mean, he's, he's getting very explicit in that um, right? it's not family planning that gets you in. You know, we're we're reformed people. We would argue it's not it's it's not our natural desire to want to be God's child. We have to be born again. It's chapter three. You have to be born of God's will, God's decision. The light has to come for you in the darkness, personally. Right? You need God's own nature, the Holy Spirit being grafted and surgically put in your heart, so that you would cry out, Abba, Father. in order to become God's child. It's, it's a gift. It's a gift to all who receive Jesus, who believed in his name, he gave the right, the authority to be called God's child. Right. If you're going to be born, we'll talk about this in chapter 3, you have to become a completely different creature, born of heaven, while living still on, here on earth, having the very divine nature implanted in you. That's the New Testament will say. So you've got to receive Jesus. And if you receive Jesus, you go, oh, thank God. Because this turned out to be a gift all along. Right, we notice John doesn't say if you receive Jesus, the way, the way you get Jesus and become a, a child of God is to be a moral person. He's not saying morality is what makes you a Christian. He's saying your, your, your response to Jesus is what brings you in. The only thing God wants from you is faith in his son, the one whom he sent. It'll change your morals, sure. That's the second, that's the second part of the conversation. But there's nothing darker than a person trying to be good, to build their own resume, to try and impress God to get them to adopt him. Now, being good is a dim light in the presence of the true light who enlightens everyone. Now, the good news of what John is doing here is Jesus came into the world to adopt a multi-ethnic family to be his brothers and sisters with God as their father that, that would be made up of all kinds of people who believe and continue to believe that Jesus is the son of God that you don't stop believing, right. which is phenomenally good news because it means if you're a moral failure, there's room for you. If you're a great person, humble yourself. There's room for you. If, I mean, just listen to the testimonies of the drug addicts, uh, the prostitutes, the poor, the ethnic outsiders. I mean, people all over the world that don't feel wanted when they hear the gospel, they realize this true light is for me. Jesus is for me. The world is against me. My creator wants me. And so they put their faith in Christ. Right. 
So, do you believe in Jesus this morning? That's the simple question. The moment you believe and receive him as he is, you're given the right to be called God's child. We're just in the introduction to learn what that means. But John 17, Jesus' desire, the reason he came, is so that you would be loved as Jesus was loved before the foundation of the world. To be a beloved son, a beloved daughter, that's what the light is shining and showing you. And that if you're God's child, he's preparing a future for his children that's beyond our understanding. It's better than we can imagine. We're going to have a family forever. And the only thing you, you have to do to get this everlasting love to all who believe in his name, you're given a right, a legal right, something that can never be taken from you. Right? This is legal language. You're adopted. We have family members who adopted. They have a new last name that, that will follow them all the days of their lives. <laughs> and that's what it is to be a Christian. To have Jesus' name attached to you, and that name will never leave you alone until you meet Jesus face to face. And so do you realize the magnitude of the gift? One last point here, and we'll, we'll conclude. The word believe, to all who did receive him, who, who believe in his name, in the Greek, it's actually in present tense. It's to those who are believing in Jesus' name. Right? You're given the right. In other words, this is, you become, a God, you become God's child the moment you profess faith in Jesus. You're, you're tapped you're overwhelmed with the everlasting love of God the moment you put your faith in Jesus who died for you. But you can't just lean on that confession you made at camp 50 years ago. <laughs> you know, part, part, of the, part of what this is saying, I believe, is do you believe today? God speaking you t- to you today, are you trusting him now? Maybe it's shame that's up against you or you're you're suffering or there's sickness or you're haunted by the shadow of death or you just feel like an outsider, right? Do you believe today in Jesus' name that you are God's beloved child and that has a very powerful impact on the way you live? Because if you are God's child, you have a a story that will never change about you. Christ died in the darkness alone so that you would never be alone for you as part of the world that rejected him. It's grace. And the gift we're given is God's smiling, fatherly face shining on us. We're given a new heart that wants him. Because if you take the right you have as God's child seriously, Here's what I think you, you become. You're, you're God's child, and you'll start to say things about like John the Baptist. What did John the Baptist say? I must decrease, so he must increase. Or as it says here in verse 6, John wasn't the light. He came to bear witness about the light, so that all would believe in him. 
know, the, the, the testimony of faith we have is to point to someone else. <laughs> it's to bear witness about the light, not to try and be the light on our own. And the only way you can faithfully bear witness to the light, as far as I understand it, is, is to believe in Jesus. And say, I'm God's child, and that, well, that's... That's the reflection this morning with J.I. Packer. You can sum up the whole of New, Christ New Testament religion if you, if you describe it as the knowledge of God as one's holy father. If you want to judge how well someone understands Christianity, find out how much they think or care about being God's child and having God as their father. If that's not the thought that prompts and controls their worship and prayers and their whole outlook on life, then you do not understand Christianity very well at all. Because why did Jesus come? So that you and I would know the love of God the Father and know that we are not alone and that, that we can listen to the stories of our friends and say, you know, you, you're pointing at something that's true. You're looking for a benevolent king. You're looking for somewhere to deal with shame. You're looking for mercy, whatever that might be. We know him. His name is Jesus and he's for you. So... I'll land the plane here, <laughs> right? To all who recognize, receive, and believe, we're given the right, the authority, the privilege of being God's child. May that bring you great joy this morning. Let's pray. Father, Jesus has thrown everything off balance, and I, and I pray that as we, that your spirit would be at work causing us and pushing us and driving us to freely embrace your promises in the gospel. That Jesus came for us, uh, that he loves us, and that you are with us. And so I pray for us as a church that we would be like John the Baptist, faithfully willing to bear witness about the light, and that our neighbors would see you at work in us. So we thank you for this love that promises to never leave nor forsake us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.